they've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome to Bible with the Barbers. What do you know? <laughs> Today is Tuesday, and it... Um is the feast of St. Barnabas, June oh, 11th. Yeah. Tell us about him I want, but sometime today. It was beautiful. Yeah, St. Barnabas is, was an apostle, yes. uh, and he's considered one of the apostles. He wasn't one of the original 12, right, right. but Barnabas was a Levite yep. who lived in Cyprus, and he came, and as a matter of fact, it's at the end of chapter 4 of the Vax of the Apostles that tells us this. Barnabas was given the name Barnabas. Yes. His name was Joseph, but they, the apostles gave him the surname Barnabas because Barnabas means son of encouragement. I love it. So apparently Barnabas was a very loving, encouraging person. And Barnabas apparently was also rather wealthy, and he had lands. And he did sell his land and gave the money to the apostles to be distributed in the early church. Didn't he also have the likings of some Greek goddess? God. God. Zeus. When, Zeus, when, when Paul Zeus. and Barnabas were on um, mission together, yep. remember they come to a city and... And a miracle is worked in Jesus' name through, through them because they commanded the miracle and God worked the miracle in Jesus' name. And then um, the people from the temple, it was, there was, they came and they called Barnabas Zeus and they called Paul Hermes because Paul Why? was the spokesman. Well, Paul was the spokesman. But Zeus, apparently Barnabas looked a lot like the statues and of Zeus that existed in the world at that time. They were all over the place. Yeah, and, 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 and everybody's looking at there like, Oh my gosh, these are gods incarnate. Look at what they did. First of all, they can work miracles, so they yeah. must be gods. Yeah. And and Barnabas and Paul tried to stop them from... And it's interesting, when the people of the town did finally turn against the apostles, the, yeah. the Jews turned against him, and they got you know some of the... They didn't stone Barnabas. They take Paul out of the city and stone him. He's just the spokesman. He's okay. But we better not touch this other guy, because just in case he is, even mm. though he says he's not... Just in case he is, we're going to be in big trouble if we mess with him. Mm. So they leave Barnabas alone. <laughs> so, and Barnabas was the one who, who went, went and um, brought Paul to the apostles. You know, he was converted. Paul was converted. He preached in, um, on the road to Damascus. He preached in Damascus for a little while. And then he went off to the desert of Arabia to pray, off to Tarsus to pray. And he spent three, three years in prayer. And then... The apostles said, uh, if you read today's reading, the reading for the, for the Feast of St. Barnabas from Acts of the Apostles, chapter 11, uh, the apostles in, in Jerusalem sent Barnabas down to Antioch to, because there were rumors that there were Christians in Antioch and the, the gospel had been preached there. So they go down, send Barnabas down to check it out, and sure enough, that's what's going on, and, and he rejoices. Barnabas is the son of encouragement, and he's mm-hmm. rejoicing in the Lord that the Lord has given to the Gentiles. The, the grace to believe the gospel. And, um, and then he goes off to Tarsus to find Paul. And he brings Paul back to Antioch. And he helps the people, the Christians there, to understand that Paul's conversion is real. It doesn't make believe. He's not trying to trap anybody. He really has been converted to Jesus Christ. And so that Paul and Barnabas stay there at Antioch for, I think it was about a year, and they preach the gospel. And then um, they go off together uh, the, the the Holy Spirit tells them that he wants them to send Paul and Barnabas off on a, on a missionary journey. So that's what they do. And that's the first reading of today, and that's from um, Acts chapter 11, beginning in verse 21b um, to 26, and then it skips the whole of chapter 12 and goes to, ver- to chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. So that's today's first reading, which you should read because it, it helps you to understand a little bit about Barnabas. And then also if you read the end of uh, chapter 4 in the Acts of the Apostle, there's some things there about Barnabas. So it, it, beautiful. We know quite a bit about him. And um, he, he died a martyr for the faith. He was stoned to death. It's even uh, interesting that we know what he looked like. Yeah. He, he, apparently he looked very much like the statues <laughs> of Zeus. So the people thought he was Zeus. Yep. Walking around, and they're like, whoa. And he said, no, I'm not a god. And, yeah. But they still didn't mess with him. When they stoned somebody, they stoned Paul, not yeah, Barnabas. I think that's <laughs> Until the end, when, he was, when it was time for his martyrdom, and he, he did die by being stoned. But, so the gospel today is also special for the feast, and it's from the gospel of Matthew. It's Matthew 10, 7 through 15. And it's, Jesus said to his apostles, as you go, make this proclamation. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Cure the sick, 
raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, drive out demons. Without cost, you have received. Without cost, you are to give. Do not take gold or silver or copper for your belts. No sack for the journey or a second tunic or sandals or a walking stick. The laborer deserves his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, look for a worthy person in it and stay there until you leave. As you enter the house, wish it peace. If the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. If not, let your peace return to you. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So this gospel, which was when when Jesus is, this isn't at the end of the gospel. This is during Jesus' public life. It's when he's commissioning his 12 to go out and preach. It's in Matthew 10, 7 through 15. And he tells them that they're to preach that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And what is the sign? They're supposed to give signs that they're really from, you know, preaching God's word. They will cure the sick. They will raise the dead. They will cleanse the lepers. They will drive out demons. Now, they're not supposed to charge for the preaching of the gospel. And they're also not supposed to take anything with them. No gold, no silver. It's like, well, how are we supposed to eat? What are we supposed to, um, who's going to support us? Well, it, the laborer deserves his keep. So they're not supposed to burden themselves down with worldly things. They're supposed to be concentrated on preaching the gospel. And the people who hear the gospel are supposed to provide for their needs. That doesn't mean all their wants. You know, that doesn't mean that you, you create a, a luxurious environment for priests to live in. But this is where the idea comes that we support our priests mm-hmm. and that they shouldn't have to work to earn their living because they're preaching the gospel to us. They're bringing the salvation to us, the salvation that Jesus Christ won for us. They're bringing us the grace of the sacraments and the labor is worth his keep. So we should be giving them what they need for their sustenance. And that's why oftentimes Catholics will give a mass stipend. We're not buying graces from God. We're trying to support the priest who's offering the mass for, for the intention that we want a mass offered for. It's not a buying and selling of, of graces. It's, it's doing what, what the Lord said here. The labor is worth his keep. So yeah, the apostles aren't supposed to take anything with them. They're not supposed to provide for themselves in any manner, shape, or form in terms of their earthly needs. The people are supposed to provide their earthly needs. So still in the Catholic Church, we try to take care of our priests and provide for their earthly needs. We give to our parish. We give to our pastors. But it's not a matter of buying the sacraments. We're not trying to buy anything from God. We're trying to support someone. It's like if someone comes into your house and cleans your house, you should pay them something. You know, If a doctor takes care of you and heals you, you should pay them something. There used to be a system where doctors would go out to the country and they'd take care of the people in the country and the people didn't have money, so they would give them a chicken or give them eggs or give them milk or give them, a, you know, something. There was some form of payment given. And, and it's the same. We need to, t- you know, when, when someone does some work, they deserve to get paid for it. And so the priests, yes, the priests are supposed to depend on God, but God will provide through the people. And if people have become so selfish that they're saying, no, I'm not gonna pr- we're not going to support our priests anymore, there's a problem there. Because we're not being grateful to God mm. for the gift of salvation that he gives us through the ministry of the priesthood. Yeah. And it is through the priesthood. Without the priest, we cannot have the holy sacrifice of the mass. We do not have confession, the forgiveness of sins through confession. Yeah, you can go to Jesus and tell him your sins. But Jesus established the sacrament of confession. In John 20, he breathed right. on his apostles and he said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Whose sins you shall forgive, they are forgiven them. Whose sins you shall retain, they are retained. Yeah, when we receive baptism, we receive tremendous grace from God, but it doesn't take away the effects of original sin. And the effect of original sin is that we're more inclined to evil than we are to good, and it's easier for us to do evil as, than it is to do good. As a matter of fact, we can't do any good without God's help. We need God's grace and help to even think a good thought. And so any good that you do in this life, thank God. He's working in your life. Anytime you see good done, Praise God for it. Don't look at the person and say, oh, they're just doing it to get this or that. No, No, thank God for any good that's done. Any good that's done has been done through the help of God and and the help of the angels that God sends. And we don't need help to do evil because of concupiscence, but we need help to be good. So God gave us the sacrament of confession so that when we sin after baptism, and we do sin after baptism, 
You know, anyone who says they haven't sinned is a liar and makes God a liar. (laughs) All men have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we turn to God and ask for forgiveness. And we don't have the sacrament of confession without the priesthood. We don't have confirmation. We don't have the seven sacraments. Now, anybody can baptize in an emergency. If there's an emergency, anyone can use, you know, clear, clean, plain water, and they can baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Even a non-Christian could baptize if they if the person wants baptism and the only person present is a non-Christian and the non-Christian intends to do what the church intends. So it's like this person is asking for baptism. This is something of their church. I intend to do what their church would give them. Then that person can validly baptize. So baptism is a is a you know, but but the ordinary minister of baptism is the priest. Just on a side note, you might want to share with our listeners also uh, confirmation that sometimes let's say you have a child. Our listeners have families, <clears throat> and they're at the hospital, and uh, they're in danger. Yeah. What would you tell them? If if a child, anyone who is in danger of death and hasn't been confirmed, and there's a lot of adults running around not confirmed, they should be confirmed. So if you have a child that gets sick, when the priest comes, you ask him to confirm your child. And he doesn't need anybody's permission. It's automatically granted because of the circumstances. We'll be back in just a few minutes. I hear that music, Terry. We'll be right back. And don't forget the Women's Conference coming up on the 7th of September. Go to virginmostpowerfulradio.org to register. Uh, my wife will be there along with uh, Barbara. Barbara Nicolosi. We'll be right back. This is Terry Barber inviting you, all the men, to a men's conference June 15th at the Sacred Heart Chapel. This is going to be a day where we're going to talk about true masculinity. You know, there's a problem in the Catholic Church today. We have very few men who love the Catholic faith. And I know a lot of the wives that I'm listening to right now are saying, I want my husband to be on fire for the faith. Send him to the men's conference. Your son, send him to the men's conference by going to virginmostpowerfulradio.org or call 877-526-2151. That's June 15th. When your husband comes back from this conference or your son, they're going to have a different view about their Catholic faith because they're going to meet three men who love Jesus and his bride, the church, and are going to instill in them a love for Christ and his church, the Eucharist, Our Lady. Bring them to virginmostpowerfulradio.org. Sign up there or call 877-526-2151. Full sheen ahead. It is only because of your continued prayers and generous donations that Virgin Most Powerful Radio can broadcast live each weekday. We count on your spiritual and financial support because you understand the urgent need for Catholic programming that shares the gospel with clarity and charity, but without compromise. Please prayerfully consider becoming a monthly donor. You can set it up with the touch of a button on our website, catholicrc.org. Buying or selling your home or your business property? This is Terry Barber. Real Estate for Life underwrites The Terry and Jesse Show. And they can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world. And when they receive their referral fee, they will give 80% of it to a pro-life organization. Wow! That's 80%. Realestateforlife.org, 877-LIFE-US-1. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome back. And, you know, it's interesting that we were talking about confirmation there just before the break. And and the reality is that, you know, sometimes people think that the sacraments were something that the church made up. Well, first of all, the church was established by Christ. And Jesus gave the sacraments, there are seven sacraments, and he gave those to the church as seven means of grace. And they're all important, every one of them. And the interesting thing is, the actual order of the sacraments is baptism, confirmation, 
First Holy Communion. And then confession is, of course, received before First Holy Communion. And then you have um, the marriage, the anointing of the sick, and the holy orders, which, I mean, it's that if, if anyone's dying, or if anyone's very, very ill or ill, they should be anointed, even if they're, you know, right. not necessarily immediately in danger of dying. If they're ill, very ill, and they're not getting well, they should be anointed. And the confirmation thing, you know, so many people nowadays aren't confirmed. And a lot of it has to do with a misunderstanding that somehow in confirmation, that's me declaring that I claim the faith as my own. And this is, no, confirmation is actually you being confirmed by the Holy Spirit in your faith. In the early church, infants were confirmed. In the Eastern rites of the Catholic Church, infants are confirmed. And so it's like, well, wait a minute, how is that? No, it's the Holy Spirit confirming you in faith, giving you the fullness of the Holy Spirit so that you can live your life fully as a Christian. Just like the apostles, they didn't have the courage to go out and preach until they received the fullness of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. So too, we need that fullness of the Holy Spirit to have the courage to go out and preach the gospel by our lives, to live a life, especially in our world, to live a Christian life in the midst of a pagan world. Isn't that the reason they require you to be confirmed when you, when we got married 30 years ago, we were asked, have you been confirmed? Right, right. You're supposed to be confirmed before you're married because... It doesn't always happen. The baptism, the, 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 the sacraments of initiation, baptism, confirmation of First Holy Communion, are they initiate you into the Christian life. And it's not until you receive confirmation that you're an adult Christian. Fullness, yeah. You receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit, and you become an adult Christian. Yep. And yes, little children can be adult Christians. They can offer their lives. They can live heroic virtue. We've seen that. We have little children who are saints. St. Dominic Savio, there pray for us. And St. Tarsisius, who was a martyr. And And um, yeah, St. Saint, Saint Jacinta and St. Francisco Marto, yeah. who were Fatima. very young, the, the little children at Fatima. And um, we're all called to this. And that's the grace of confirmation in us helps us to do this. And so you're not supposed to get married in the Catholic Church. You can get permission to do so. But uh, if you're not confirmed, you're supposed to be confirmed before you're married. So if you, if you aren't confirmed, you have to have permission to be, to be married without confirmation. But you should look into the sacrament of confirmation. Read about it in the, in the catechism so you understand. It's not about me claiming the faith. It's about me receiving the Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit can confirm me in the faith. Amen. So, um, so the apostles went out and preached because Jesus sent them out to preach. And the church still supposed to teach the truth, the truth that Jesus left to his church. And it is his church. He founded it. Yep. It's not just a man-made institution. It's not just an appendage that we can cut off. And oftentimes people are wounded by people who represent the church. And because of that woundedness, they walk away from the church. Well, don't leave Jesus because you were scandalized by someone in the church. Yeah. And, and by the way, are you going to church for the people who are in the church? Or are you going to the church because Jesus is there? Amen. Jesus Christ is present in the Blessed Sacrament, really present, body, blood, soul, and divinity. And he's there. And come to him. Come to him and ask him to heal the wounds and ask him to help you understand how necessary the church is. If it weren't necessary, why would he have established it? Jesus established his church. You know, in the Old Testament, Jesus established the Jewish people. He gave Moses the, the rules of, of how the priests were supposed to offer the liturgy. And it was liturgy, how they were supposed to worship God. It's the work of the people, but the, work, the purpose of the work of the people is to worship God. And it is God who gives us the insight how to do this properly. Believe me. Everybody knows within their heart that they should be worshiping God. And that's why you come up with pagan religions, because if people haven't heard the gospel, they don't fully understand what is the proper way or who God is in and of himself. If if God didn't reveal himself, we couldn't know who he was. That's why we have the Bible. The Bible is the word of God. It is the revelation of God. It's the revelation of the Trinity. This is what Jesus came to reveal, that God is not a solitude unto himself. He's a trinity of persons, and he's not disinterested in his creation. He made us for union with himself. He wants us to have a share in his joy and in his life, his very inner Trinitarian life. And that's what the Gospels teach us. This is what Jesus taught us. This is what all of Scripture teaches us. So when the apostles went out to preach, this is the message they're bringing. And, of course, the first step for us to accept this gospel 
is repentance. Jesus started his gospel by saying, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When the apostles preach, they go out and they say that what was foretold by God is fulfilled and now repent. Repent, therefore, and turn again that your sins may be blotted out. This is Acts 3.19. And I know we started Acts 3 last week with the cure of the lame man who was 40 years old and had set, set had sat. had sat at one of the gates of the temple begging when people came in. And Peter and John didn't have any money to give him, but they they told him in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, get up and walk. And Peter took him by the hand and he got up and walked. He got up and walked. He started jumping and leaping and praising God. And he's not being real quiet and he's hanging on to the apostles and the people, they know who he is. And he comes into the, they come into the temple and they're like, wow. And he said, we didn't do this on our own. This is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the Messiah, and this is proof. This is proof to you that God is affirming that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Repent, therefore, turn again, that your sins may be blotted out. So we have to repent of our sins. We have to leave them aside. Let me ask you a question, though, because we're probably thinking, the listener going, okay, i got to repent. Does that mean, uh, well, i got to go to confession? But can we talk a little bit about sin because I think for many of us, we haven't been really catechized well to realize that it's not an automatic thing that, you know, God forgives. He died on the cross. Right. But how do we uh, have our personal sin? What what are, you know, like the mortal, venial sins? And then this is a catechesis to say we need to repent. And just assuming that God is going to forgive you isn't good enough, is it? No, it's not. And here's the deal. Yeah, that's the deal. In in John's letter, in one of John's letters, mm-hmm. John, the Apostle John says, all wrongdoing is sin, but not all sin is deadly. Yes. So where, where do we get the distinction between mortal and venial sin? We get it right from the, the scriptures. Bible. Mortal simply means mortal, mortal. It, yeah. it's, it will kill you. It's a mortal wound. You're going to die from it. So mortal sin kills the life of God in your soul. You have rejected God. In, a, in, a, in, in order for a sin to be mortal, yes. first of all, you have to be dealing with serious moral evil. You have to have full knowledge that it is serious moral evil. You have to give full consent of your will. You have to choose to do that evil. So, so let me give you an example. If somebody was forced to have an abortion, okay, where they were pushed by their parents, their boyfriend, it really wasn't a free act on their part, was no, it? No, it wasn't. The woman's not guilty of the sin. And I think in the abortion debate, this is important to, yeah. those women don't go to those clinics to, to kill their times. babies. Yeah. They're going most of the time, right. 80% of them most likely are going to get help, but they're not given help. The people who are pushing them to the abortion, now that's a different story. Yeah. They may be fully responsible. They know what they're doing. Yeah. They're, they're, they're encouraging this woman to kill her child. But the, the woman herself if she hasn't freely chosen, That's it's like the poor women in China. That's my point. They're not choosing to kill their children. Forced abortion. Yeah, it, this is so, so weird. The, the United Nations? United the United Nations. Nations just recently, they said, oh, oh my goodness, how could you say women can't have access to abortion? This is torture. And I'm like, torture? It's torture to force a woman to have her child killed. That's right. These women go through post abortion stress syndrome. It's real. And most of these women, they don't want an abortion at all. They want help. They want to know how they can get in a difficult situation. How am I going to be able to support this child? Can I support this child? Should I give this child up for adoption? What do I do in a difficult situation? And yeah, when you're coerced, when you're forced, you're not guilty of a sin, okay, of a mortal sin. Now, sin is sin. All wrongdoing is sin. So, by the way, um, you know, if you commit an act of fornication and you're pregnant, don't go into the confessional and say, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. I'm pregnant. Uh, Being pregnant is not a sin. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. I committed an act of fornication. (laughs) The the sin has a name, but being pregnant is not a sin. So the circumstances under which you got pregnant, you may have sinned. But the the serious moral evil, the Ten Commandments, if you deliberately and belligerently, you know, with an intent of just defying God and his law, break any of the Ten Commandments, those are serious moral evil. That's right. And so you want to know the Ten Commandments, study them. 
And there are other sins that aren't aren't as as serious and like that. Of course, it's not a, it's not a serious sin. It's not a moral sin. If it's it may be serious moral evil, but if we don't freely choose it or we don't have full knowledge, then it's not a, a mortal sin. Right. So to say that you know all sins against the sixth and ninth commandment are morally sinful. Wait a minute. Stop. Back yeah, off. You know, has the person been instructed? Do people understand what the sixth and ninth commandment even are? And believe it or not, yeah, there's a lot of people who simply haven't been instructed. Right. So you can say, look, this is serious moral evil. This is what it is. Our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. We should always use them in accord with God's will. We should never do anything against our body. We shouldn't, um, our sexual faculty is only to be used within marriage with our spouse. Any other use of it is against the law of God because it destroys us as a human person. It's degrading to us. And, and this is offensive to God when we degrade ourselves. So we explain what fornication is. We explain what masturbation is. We, in terms of using that, the, the sexual faculty for your own pleasure, that's wrong. That's not what it's for. It's for procreation and union. And that's within marriage where you freely give yourself as a total gift to your spouse and you no longer belong to yourself because you've given yourself to your spouse. And that gift can never be taken back. You don't belong to yourself anymore. You belong to your spouse. And it's always open to the possibility of life. That doesn't mean God's going to bless everybody with family or children or how many children. We don't know. Right. You know, Don't go around saying, oh, those people, they're not good Christians because they only have four children or they only have one child. Or You don't know. Some people aren't blessed with a big family. I had an aunt who came from a family of 14. She was the oldest. Her mother died when she was a teenager, and she had the responsibility for raising her younger brothers and sisters. But she got rheumatic fever and typhus after her mother died. And she didn't want to tell anybody she was sick because she had so many responsibilities in the family. And she was sick for months. And then it took her months to get over it. And when she got married, the doctor said, you'll never be able to have children. Hmm. She always wanted a big family. And this was back in the 40s and 50s, and oh, everybody was saying to her, aren't you the smart one? You only had one child. And to her, that was persecution because she wanted a big family, and she wasn't able to have a big family. She only had one child, and it wasn't because she only she chose that. It's because that's what God gave her. We don't know. So we pray for each other. People. Amen. Pray for each other and repent of our sins. Are we being selfish and judgmental and self-centered? And that's what Pope Francis is getting at. You know, we shouldn't be judging people and condemning them and putting them down. We need to pray for one another that we live the gospel to the full. Music's coming, honey. And I just asked you one question. This is like being at home, listening to my wife. Hey! (laughs) More with the Bible with the Barbers when we come back. This is Terry Barber inviting you, all the men, to a men's conference June 15th at the Sacred Heart Chapel. This is going to be a day where we're going to talk about true masculinity. You know, there's a problem in the Catholic Church today. We have very few men who love the Catholic faith. And I know a lot of the wives that I'm listening to right now saying, I want my husband to be on fire for the faith. Send him to the men's conference. Your son, send him to the men's conference by going to virginmostpowerfulradio.org or call 877-526-2151. That's June 15th. When your husband comes back from this conference or your son, they're going to have a different view about their Catholic faith because they're going to meet three men who love Jesus and his bride, the church, and are going to instill in them a love for Christ and his church, the Eucharist, Our Lady. Bring them to virginmostpowerfulradio.org. Sign up there or call 877-526-2151. Full sheen ahead. It is only because of your continued prayers and generous donations that Virgin Most Powerful Radio can broadcast live each weekday. We count on your spiritual and financial support because you understand the urgent need for Catholic programming that shares the gospel with clarity and charity, but without compromise. Please prayerfully consider becoming a monthly donor. You can set it up with the touch of a button on our website, catholicrc.org.
buying or selling your home or your business property? This is Terry Barber. Real Estate for Life underwrites The Terry and Jesse Show. And they can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world. And when they receive their referral fee, they will give 80% of it to a pro-life organization. Wow, that's 80%. Realestateforlife.org, 877-LIFE-US-1. This is Jesse Romero. You're listening to Bible with the Barbers on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Well, thank you, Jesse, for bringing us back. And, and so in order for a sin to be mortally sinful, in order for a sin to kill the life of God in your soul, first of all, it has to be serious moral evil. You have to have full knowledge that it's serious moral evil, and you have to freely choose it, not through coercion. Um, it's, it's a free choice. It has to be a free human choice that you make. And, and then in order for sin to be forgiven, we need to ask. When the apostles say repent, that is, we turn again, return to God. Lord, I've sinned. I've offended you. And you know, there's some beautiful hymns in the Old Testament, in the book of Daniel, Daniel 3. And, and when Ananiah, Azariah, and Mishael were thrown in the furnace because they wouldn't worship the king's statue, and so he was going to kill them, they didn't say, oh, why are we being punished? We were faithful. Why has God abandoned us? They said, Lord, they identified themselves with their people. We have sinned and done wrong. We have turned away from you. And these were men who had not sinned and done in terms of externally, but all of us are sinners. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. You know what? If we're not sinners, we don't need Jesus. So we're all sinners. We need to admit our sin, and we need to turn to the Lord and repent. And, you know, it's not necessary to confess venial sins, but the reality is if we confess our venial sins on a regular basis, if we ever have the misfortune to commit a mortal sin— it'll be easier for us to go to confession. And if we don't go to confession on a regular basis and confess our venial sins, sin darkens the intellect and it weakens the will, and it makes it easier for us to commit bigger sins. So we want to go to confession on a frequent and regular basis. We want to repent. Turn to the Lord and repent. And yes, do turn to the Lord every day. Make an act of contrition. Turn to him every day. The just man falls seven times a day, Jesus said. And who is the just man? St. Joseph was a just man. That's the man who is striving with all of his being to live in union with God. So what if I'm not striving with all my being to live in union with God? What if I'm just kind of living my life and marking time and, you know, oh, yeah, I go to church once in a while. Um, Excuse me. You know, then I need to start examining my life and asking myself, what is it that's offensive to God? The repentance or conversion which Peter preaches is the same message as Mark the initial proclamation of the kingdom. And Pope Paul VI wrote, This means a change of outlook, and it applies to the state of sinful man who needs to change his ways and turn to God, desirous of breaking away from his sins and repenting and calling on God's mercy. He's warning us there. Don't say, oh, it's just a little sin. It's okay. You know, I just told a little white lie, you know. You know, a white lie is a white is a lie. A lie is a lie. A lie is to tell as true what you know to be false. And the liar is actually violating his own being, his own self, because he knows that what he's telling is false, and he's defending it as true. So that's something he violates himself. He's doing damage to his own being. So we don't, no sin, we, you don't compromise. You know, gluttony, lust, anger, greed, pride, these are all sins. And we need to, and, and breaking any of the Ten Commandments is a sin. Read the Ten Commandments. And we need to repent. We need to turn back to God and ask for the grace. Paul, Paul VI also explained the word conversion can be translated as change of heart. We are called to this change, and it will make us see many things. The first has to do with interior analysis of our soul. We should examine ourselves as to what is the main direction of our life. Where are we headed? What attitude is usually to the fore in the way we think and act? Am I being selfish? Am I thinking of others? Am I trying to serve, or am I trying to get everybody to serve me? What is our reason for being? Do we know why we exist? 
where we came from, where we're going? Is our rudder fixed so as to bring us exactly to our goal? Oh, does it direction need to be perhaps changed a bit? You know, well, I'll take a detour here and a detour there. And, you know, I want to see a few sights and I want to experience a few things. And um, are we sure? By examining ourselves in this way, we will discover sins or at least weaknesses which call for penance and profound reform. And so in his general audience there of the 21st of March, 1973, Paul VI is making it clear, it's not just sin that keeps us from God. It can also be our weaknesses. And when we compromise with our weaknesses and cater to them, they take us away from the Lord. We need to strive manfully against our weaknesses and our sins, repent and turn back to God. So that's the the repentance that's being called for there by Peter. And then Peter goes on and he explains to the people, you know, God foretold the coming of his Messiah. The Messiah was foretold, and Jesus fulfilled every single one of the prophecies about himself. And it's there in the Old Testament. We can't just do away with the Old Testament. It's very important for us as Christians because that was the foundation. That was the beginning of God's revelation to man. And so Peter and John are there, and they're, they're telling the people that God raised Jesus from the dead. And this is, this is his sign that he really approved Jesus, that Jesus really is the Messiah. And so he tells them, turn away from your wickedness, every one of you. Now, in chapter 4 there at the beginning, what happens? They're speaking to the people and the priests and the captain of the temple guard come out and say, what you doing here? And so um, they are not very happy that Peter and John are preaching that Jesus' resurrection from the dead, and that this is the sign of God's approval of Jesus and that he is the source of our salvation. So they arrest him and they take him in custody. And But many people who heard them that day came to believe, and this was the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through them and in and through their words, and the number came to about 5,000. So the church has grown. You know, on Pentecost Sunday, there were 3,000 added, and now you've got more being added, and the church is growing by leaps and bounds. And day by day, the church is growing, and more and more people are coming to believe in Jesus Christ. And so it's already late in the day, so they just lock them up in the temple jail, and they don't try them, Um, or maybe it was the public jail, but they they put them in jail, and um, they're going to take care of them tomorrow. So they have them in custody. And the next day they bring them out and they ask them, um, you know, Annas and Caiaphas and John and Alexander, the, the priests, the priestly class, they're there. And they said, um, by what power or by whose name did you do this? And Peter's filled with the Holy Spirit. And he says, you have to know, rulers of the people, that if you're going to examine us for the good deed that we did to a cripple, that this man was healed in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified but whom God raised from the dead. And it is by the power of Jesus' name that this man stands before you. This is Acts 4, um, verses um, up to verse 10 and 11. And then Peter goes on to quote one of the Psalms, the stone rejected by the builders has become the cornerstone. And so there's no salvation in anyone else. And there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So it is Jesus Christ who is the Savior. And anyone who is saved is saved through the merits and mediation of Jesus Christ and the church that he established. So even if a person doesn't fully know, has not had a chance to come to know the church, God can still use the grace, give them the grace of salvation. But we don't count on that. We are bound by the sacraments, St. Thomas Aquinas said. That means if we know that Jesus Christ founded one church, the Catholic Church, and we know the sacraments of the Catholic Church were established by Jesus Christ, then we have an obligation to avail ourselves of the graces that are that God gives to us through the sacraments, okay? And we can't just excuse ourselves and say, oh, I'll put it off till next week, or I'll put it off till next year, or some other time. And, you know, by the way, this can be- becomes a real problem. Um, the engineer pointed out to me, it's true, in, in when we're preparing people for baptism and parents come to have their children baptized, and they've chosen sponsors for their children, And many times the sponsors aren't confirmed or they're not going to church on a regular basis. When you choose a godparent for your child at baptism, you're supposed to choose someone who, first of all, is living the Catholic faith to the full 
and they have to have received baptism, confirmation, and, and First Holy Communion because they're adult Christians, and they're supposed to be able to pass on the faith to, the, to their godchild. And if for some reason the parents can't fulfill their obligation of passing on the faith to their, to their own children, the godparents are supposed to step in and teach the godchildren about their faith. It's not just an honorary thing. You're supposed to teach your children the, the faith. And if parents were to renege on that, then the godparents have an obligation to go to the parents and say, you asked me to be the godparent. I need to pass on the faith to your child because you're not doing it. And how can you pass on what you don't have? So we need, it's important. The sacraments are not, you know, don't take them lightly. This is God's grace and don't belittle it. By the way, when you go to confession, don't go in there and just pretend and make things up and don't conceal sins. If you're, if you are conscious of a mortal sin, you tell it. If you have to, write it down before you go in there and read it so that you don't get scared and not tell it. Because if you conceal, if you deliberately conceal a mortal sin in confession, now you've commit a sin of sacrilege. And none of the sins you confessed were forgiven. And you're going to have to go to confession again. Only you're going to have to confess that the last time I went to confession, I can deliberately, if this is deliberate, I deliberately concealed a mortal sin. I commit a sin of sacrilege. I, I had a sacrilegious confession. And now you have to confess all the sins that you confessed in that confession that was sacrilegious. So don't compound your troubles. Make a good examination of conscience. Ask the Holy Spirit and your guardian angel to remind you of your sins and to, to enlighten you to know the sins you've committed. And this is, I'm talking about mortal sin. We're not, we're not required to confess venial sin, but we try and confess all our venial sins so that we don't fall into greater sin. Confession also helps us not to fall into mortal sin, by the way. If we go to confession on a frequent and regular basis, it's not just to have sin forgiven, it's to prevent us from sinning because it gives us the courage and strength to stand against sin. And this is what the gospel is about. Yes, Christians are different because they are forgiven. We're not just part of the world. We're not living in the world just to be part of the world and just go along with the world. We are supposed to be different. In the early years of Christianity, it grew so much. Remember, 20%? You know, within the first 300 years, every so many years, it grew by 20%. Because people looked at the Christians and they noticed that they were different. See those Christians, how they love one another. Their love was evident and obvious. And so should be in ours. Our love should be evident and obvious. So we're coming up on another break. The men's conference is full. We've taken as many people as we can accommodate. So thank you for registering for that. We have the women's conference in September. And thank you for listening to Bible with the Barbers. And we'll be back in just a few minutes with more of Bible with the Barbers and looking at Acts of the Apostles. This is Terry Barber inviting you, all the men, to a men's conference June 15th at the Sacred Heart Chapel. This is going to be a day where we're going to talk about true masculinity. You know, there's a problem in the Catholic Church today. We have very few men who love the Catholic faith. And I know a lot of the wives that I'm listening to right now saying, I want my husband to be on fire for the faith. Send him to the men's conference. Your son, send him to the men's conference by going to virginmostpowerfulradio.org or call 877-526-2151. That's June 15th. When your husband comes back from this conference or your son, they're going to have a different view about their Catholic faith because they're going to meet three men who love Jesus and his bride, the church, and are going to instill in them a love for Christ and his church, the Eucharist, Our Lady. Bring them to virginmostpowerfulradio.org. Sign up there or call 877-526-2151. Full sheen ahead. It is only because of your continued prayers and generous donations that Virgin Most Powerful Radio can broadcast live each weekday. We count on your spiritual and financial support because you understand the urgent need for Catholic programming that shares the gospel with clarity and charity, but without compromise. Please prayerfully consider becoming a monthly donor. You can set it up with the touch of a button on our website, catholicrc.org. 
buying or selling your home or your business property? This is Terry Barber. Real Estate for Life underwrites the Terry and Jesse Show. And they can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world. And when they receive their referral fee, they will give 80% of it to a pro-life organization. Wow, that's 80%. Realestateforlife.org, 877-LIFE-US-1. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Peter and Peter and John are proclaiming the gospel with boldness. And it's interesting because the Sanhedrin is a little bit confused. They're like, well, these are just ordinary men. They're fishermen. They're, they're common men. They're not men who've had a chance to have an education. Right. And yet they're proclaiming this with just absolute boldness. And so the council is, you know, what are we going to do with these guys? You know, it's obviously that they, a miracle was worked. And we can't deny that. This guy was 40, this guy is 40 years old. He's been sitting at that gate for years, begging everybody knows him, and now he's healed. So what are we going to do? So they called him back in. They had put them, you know, they put them out of the council to have their little meeting. And then they called him back into the council and they say, okay, so um, we don't want you to talk anymore about Jesus of Nazareth and his resurrection or what he, you know. And Peter and John say to them, well, is it, you judge for yourself whether it's right in the sight of God for us to obey you rather than to obey God. But we cannot help but speak of what we have seen and heard. They witnessed the resurrection. They saw it and they heard. Jesus was alive after his crucifixion. And they saw him. And yes, he had a real body, yeah, a spiritual body, spiritualized body, I should say. It's a physical, it's physical, but not physical in the way we understand physical bodies in this world because the resurrected body is no longer subject to the confines of the, the, the world. You know, a resurrected body can pass through walls. It can move at the speed of thought. It's, it doesn't, it's not limited by time and space. We don't have a, like St. Paul said, I, you know, you asked me what a resurrected body looked like, <laughs> a nonsensical question. <laughs> I haven't seen one. How can I know? <laughs> you know, it's something, it's something out of our experience. It's something beyond our experience. But that doesn't mean it can't be real. You know, God can go beyond the laws of nature. He doesn't, he doesn't um, go against them, but he can suspend them and go beyond them. Just like when he works miracles, you know. You know, people drown and, and they live through the drowning or people die and then they're brought back to life and they were dead for, you know, now we've had people that have been dead for as much as two and a half, three hours. And and without brain damage, they they come back. And it's like God raises them from the dead. And that's, you know, miracles happen all over the world today. They're happening all over the place. And the biggest miracle is the miracle of the conversion of the heart. And you know what? People do change. They change every day with the grace of God. Men and women change. They have the capacity to. I don't care what your sins are. I don't care what your addictions are. I don't care what your, your, you know, what's weighing you down. Turn trustingly to the Lord. He can heal you of everything. And he does heal people every day. So turn to him and ask for that. And so these men boldly proclaim. They boldly proclaim the gospel. And then they go, they're released, and it's, you know, the Sanhedrin really can't do anything. This man who would cripple for over 40 years is now healed. And so Peter, they go back to the, to, the, to the, you know, the community, the Christian community, and they tell them what had happened. And so then they all pray together, and they pray. And this is so beautiful. This is Acts 4, starting at verse 24. Sovereign Lord, who didst make the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who by the mouth of our father David thy servant did say by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage, and the peoples imagine vain things, and the rulers, the kings of themselves, excuse me, the kings of the earth set themselves in array, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city, they were gathered together against the holy, thy holy servant, Jesus, whom thou didst anoint, both Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever they had, excuse me, whatever thy hand 
and thy plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to thy servants to speak thy word with all boldness while thou stretchest out thy hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of thy holy servant Jesus. And the place where they prayed shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. Look at this prayer. Do you want to know how we should pray when people attack us? Lord, you see what these people do. You see what they've done. But now, Lord, they, they couldn't do anything that you didn't allow. The fact that Jesus was crucified, Lord, that was all part of your plan. That was part of the plan of salvation. And so now we want you to, to stretch out your hand, Lord, and heal and, and work miracles. Are we praying to God for miracles? Are we praying that God heal people? Are we praying to God that he reveal his light and his love and his truth to hearts that are living in darkness? Or are we saying, Lord, would you wipe out all the bad guys so we can get on with life? Wait a minute. If God wipes out all the bad guys, honey, nobody's going to be left. There's going to be nobody left. We're all bad guys. We're all sinners. We're all sinners. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God gives us his grace to repent. And so we need to pray. For instance, pray for the conversion of sinners every day. Pray for the conversion of Muslims. Pray for the conversion of the communists. Pray for the conversion of the enemies of Holy Church. Pray for those who set themselves against God and against his will. Pray for those who promote the culture of death, that they would have a conversion and realize the evil that they're doing. If you saw the movie, Unplanned with Abby Johnson, the story of Abby Johnson, and it was interesting because after Abby had con- had con- had her conversion and she quit working for Planned Parenthood, and then she's she gives she counsels that young woman, if you leave now, we can help you, and and she tells the young woman what will happen. They're not gonna they're not gonna help you. They're not gonna let you see your baby, but they just want to determine how much they need to charge you, and so the young woman does leave, and then. Abby's rejoicing, and she, she had turned away from the fence, and Cheryl's standing on the other side of the fence. And Abby turns around, and there's Cheryl. And, and she says, oh, congratulations. And Cheryl is really angry. And Abby says, Cheryl, what you're doing is wrong. And Cheryl looks at her and says, is it? Now, remember, Abby was convinced beforehand that what she was doing was right, that she was helping women in crisis. And this is what happens in a culture of death. We think that death is the answer to the problem. No, it's not. Life and love are the answer to the problem. Love alone creates. God did not make death. Did you know that? God did not make death. God did not make sin. No. Death and sin came into the world as an intrusion because man turned away from God. Sin is turning away from God. Mortal sin is turning our back on God and choosing some created good or some created thing over God. God is our ultimate good. God is who we should be choosing. And so the people, the early Christians are praying, and they're praying and exalting in God. Yeah, the Gentiles raged, and the kings of the earth set themselves in array against the Lord and his anointed. And and yet this was all part of God's plan. And we praise you, Lord, and we bless you, and we worship you, and we glorify you. And there are so many hymns of worship and praise and glory of God in the scriptures, Old and New Testament. It's just awesome. Mighty and wonderful are your works, Lord God Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Since you alone are holy, who would dare refuse you honor or the glory do your name? Your mighty deeds are clearly seen. We need to praise God in the midst of suffering, in the midst of confusion, in the midst of darkness. We need to give praise and glory to God. We need to glorify his name. This is what will bring about a change. We can focus on all the evil that's done. We can focus on all the people in the church who've infiltrated the church and do evil and deliberately commit sin and deliberately try to change the gospel and water it down and say, oh, no, it's okay if you sin. It's not a problem. God forgives anyway. No, God will not forgive us if we don't ask. And and our, the, he can't forgive us if we don't repent of our sin, if we don't turn away from the sin. You know, if I if I say, oh, I'm sorry, but I don't really intend, I don't really try to do something to change my life and strive to change, I haven't repented. You know, it's like the addict 
who's addicted to a drug and it's like, yeah, I want to be, I want to be free. There's a wish. I wish to be free of it, but I'm not willing to take the steps to be free of it. Okay. I go home every night and I drink a six packs of beer, but you know what? I'm going to go to the store and buy my six pack or my 12 pack and I'm going to drink it again tonight. Well, then you haven't made the, the, the commitment to change. You know, I'm addicted to chocolate, you know, and yet every time I go to the store, I buy chocolate and it's like, eh, you know, well, chocolate, you know, again, no, we need to make an effort. We need to start taking the steps to change. And so if I have an addiction to anything that's create a creature or a created thing, I need to start making the baby steps necessary. Okay, I'm going to make a resolve that instead of drinking a six-pack of beer or a 12-pack, I'll drink, you know, three beers or four beers tonight and then cut it down a little at a time. Okay, I, I have a problem with addiction, then I'm going to find someone that I can be accountable to. Someone who's going to call me to account for what I've done. Have you used recreational drugs today? If you did, that was wrong and that was a sin and that offended God and it destroys you as a human person. And so I'm going to stop doing that. You know, am I, am I indulging in too much dessert? You know, whatever it is, whatever it is that gets us, or, and for some of us, it's, it's not that. It's our judgments of other people, our willingness to condemn all the leaders of the church and say those bad people there are leading everybody astray. You know what? The sacraments are still being offered. The gospel is still being preached. Do we t- spend time with Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament? Are we making holy hours? When we see desecrations of the Blessed Sacrament, Go online and look up the prayers that the angel of Fatima taught the children. Learn those prayers, memorize them, print them out if you need to, take them to church. You know, the children, once the angel had taught them those prayers of reparation, they were willing to do nothing but spend hours praying those prayers over and over again. On their knees, with their heads bowed to the ground, these little children, day after day, the sacrifice prayer, it is for love of you, Jesus, for the conversion of sinners, in reparation for the sins committed against the Immaculate Heart of Mary. And yes, when we sin against the Immaculate Heart of Mary, when we deny who Mary is, we're sinning against God because God made Mary who she is. She's his mother, and he made her immaculate, and she's beautiful. And we're not making Mary a god or a goddess. We're praising God for the work that he has accomplished in her. And that's what the apostles are doing here. And that's what we need to do in the midst of trials and tribulation. We need to read the scriptures and look at how the saints responded in the midst of trial and tribulation. How did they pray? You know, when Paul was beaten and and put in prison, he prayed and sang hymns of praise to God. Those hymns are in the scriptures, the Psalms, and other hymns from the Old Testament and the New Testament that praise the glory of God. Ask for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Ask for the grace to leave our sins aside, to truly repent, to turn to the Lord, and give up sin so that we can receive the grace of God and He can work in and through us to accomplish the work that He has begun and make us the saints He's called us to be because we're all called to be saints. Sanctity is not the option of the few. It's the simple duty of us all. We're all called to live in union with God. So thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barbers. We have the Women's Conference coming up in September, September 7th. You can register for that. And we hope to see you again next week on Bible with the Barbers. Keep reading Acts of the Apostles and keep praying for the coming of the Holy Spirit and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the church. St. Faustina's Prayer for Priests O my Jesus, I beg thee on behalf of the whole church, grant it love and the light of thy spirit, and give power to the words of priests, so that hardened hearts might be brought to repentance and return to Thee, O Lord. Lord, give us holy priests. Thou Thyself maintain them in holiness. O Divine and Great High Priest, may the power of Thy mercy accompany them everywhere and protect them from the devil's traps and snares, which are continually being set for the souls of priests. May the power of thy mercy, O Lord, shatter and bring to naught all that might tarnish the sanctity of priests. For thou canst do all things. Amen. Virgin Most Powerful, pray for us. Virgin Most Powerful Radio 
sharing the gospel with clarity and charity.